We're back to the Neil Haley show. And you know what? Uh, the total celebrity segment, the media giant effect. I'm excited to welcome to the program. First, my co-host, Dr. Deborah Matthew. Dr. Deb, how are you? I know you're excited about our guest. So introduce so our guest and we're going to have a great conversation with her. Yes. Well, I'm so excited to introduce Gloria Gaynor. Her legendary career spans 40 years, never losing momentum. She has achieved global stardom and musical recognition with hit songs in the charts in all four decades. There are many reasons why Gloria Gaynor is synonymous with I Will Survive. The 1978 single topped the Billboard's disco and pop charts, went platinum, and won the best disco recording the only year the Grammys recognized that subgenre. And I have to say, I've been listening to your music all afternoon, getting ready for this. I'm actually in Acapulco at an event today, and I was having lunch with young Miss Mexico, who's a young girl in her 20s, and she listened to I Will Survive. We were playing it on the speakers, and I said, do you know this song? And she just looked at me and she said, of course. <laughs> I love it. Wonderful. Well, it's fantastic to have you on, Gloria. And, you know, it's 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 amazing to think about how long you know your career spanned and how again generations upon generations love your music it's wonderful for me as well i'm sure sure all right dr deb what, what first question do you have for gloria when you were first recording this song did you have any idea that it was going to be so enduring and such a part of our culture for so many generations I did. I mean, of course, I didn't think any number of years ahead, but I did believe that the song would be popular for as long as it was played, because my feeling was that the song celebrates the tenacity of the human spirit. When I recorded it, I was in a back brace. I'd recently had surgery. I had a plastic, thick plastic back brace from my hips up until my, my um, armpit. And I was hoping that I'd survive that surgery and I'd survive the whole ordeal. And um, I, my mother had passed away just a few years prior, something I found very, very difficult to, to live with. And so, as I said, the song resonated with me and I felt that it would resonate with anyone who was going through some trauma or trial in their lives that they thought might be insurmountable and yet hoped they would survive. And you think it was different than certain songs? You just felt that feeling that it was going to do as well as it did? Well, yeah. When I read the lyrics, I, I, I even before I heard the melody or, or any music for the song, I, just the lyrics I knew were, like I said, would, would resonate with, with so many people. All right. Fantastic. And now for for all these decades, you've been you've been telling us that you will survive and you you really have. You look great. You sound great. I saw you on The Masked Singer. Um, you did awesome. So I'd love to know what are your secrets for surviving? How do you think you have survived so well and aged so well and you're still going so strong? <laughs> Well, it, you know, whenever with often that's didn't say whenever, but often I sing the song and I do a part in the song where I stop the song and I talk to the audience and I say, do you realize I've been telling you for the last 25, 30, 35, 40 years that I will survive, but I never told you how. And then I go back into the song and, and I change the words to say, only the Lord could give me strength not to fall apart. And where it says, um, you see me, somebody new, I say, because he made me somebody new. And so that is uh, the thing that 
has carried me through all of these years with this song, recognizing my faith, that my faith is what has, well, the object of my faith is what has carried me through every situation and circumstance that I've found difficult mm. in my life. And then what do you tell people that are that go through a really hard time, a tough time, and how they can survive in so many ways? Because we all have these losses in our lives. They can be mm -hmm. secondary losses or primary losses, as one of um, my clients says all the time, Dr. Mary, because it's not about just losing somebody for, from death. It could be another type of loss and how we are able to overcome and, and move forward. All kinds of losses we have in our lives. And I... Every single one of them, I can say that I've gone through, I've been carried through by my faith. But as I say, the object of my faith is Christ Jesus, and he has carried me through every single thing. And I realize, recognize, have learned that he loves each and every one of us with an undying, unchanging, unconditional love. What he's done for me, he would do for anyone else. And I am always willing to share my faith because it is more than anything else I can give anybody because he is more. And Dr. Deb, don't you think it's such an important thing to be able to be transparent with your fans? Dr. Deborah, I think that's the biggest thing that's important is that if we mm -hmm. don't go out there and truly show who our real true selves are, people are not going to be attracted to us and want to work with us or listen to our music or, or work with us in any way, right, Dr. Deb? Yeah, I think people can tell when you're speaking authentically, when you care about your fans and you're sharing that important part of you that really endears us, um, you know, and um, I think that's beautiful. Before yeah. we get again to your latest project, Thursday Night Club, I wanted, um, I, what I wanted to get into specifically how disco kind of just disappeared so quickly off the map, but then yet is made a comeback now. What do you think, how, why music's different today than then where, you know, you know, certain things like heavy metal went mm. and stopped and different things. What do you think the reason why now music lives on, but ultimately at that time, people kind of chose, or even the, the industry chose what to move on from, like how this disco did die. <laughs> well, you know, I've had people say that to me many times and I've told them without fail, disco is alive and well and living in the hearts of music lovers around the world. It has simply changed its name to protect the innocent or well, the not so innocent. It is now called dance music. <laughs> and because people have never stopped dancing and that's all disco music really is, is music that is good for dancing and, 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 um, and makes you wanna dance. You know? So, I mean, yeah, there, there is a specific type of beat that goes with disco music, but it evolved and people incorporated it into what they termed were other kind of music because they added other elements to the music. The major thing that is missing from the music today that was very prominent in disco music was the spontaneous creativity that can only happen between live musicians playing together and inspiring one another. Mm, so so true, so true. And that's interesting we bring that up. So tell us about the latest project, Thursday Night Club, who you're playing and also about the premise of, of the movie. Yeah. Okay, the, the film is about a group of young people who call themselves the Thursday Night Club because they meet every Thursday night and, and, and do homework together and do different things together on Thursday nights. And the father of one of them at one point 
tells them that each one of them will come across a sign from God that will steer them towards something that they can do to give back, to pay it forward. And what I love about this, this, the, the, the film is that all of the children are up for it. They all want to, to see this sign. They all want to do whatever it is. I think that is so necessary for today because we've become so self-indulgent and so self-absorbed in at least, especially in this country that we really need something like that to inspire us to, to, to give back and to, to share and to care about one another. The part that I play is of the doctor is a doctor of one of the um, the young people in the club who has chosen her sign has led her to a young girl who needs a bone marrow transplant. The little girl is only five years old, and she gives this bone marrow transplant. And I play a part of the doctor that um, in the scene that I'm in, she is I am. Um, telling her, giving her a prognosis and telling her where she should go from where she is. And Dr. Deb, I think that's the, the important thing to have faith and belief what we can do, right, Dr. Deb? And that's what the film's showing us and different things that we, can, we, we cannot do it alone. We need others. We need also the belief that we can do it. Yeah. And, and just like your character in the movie, um, so much of our strength, our, our healing comes from our beliefs. And when we have faith, then our immune system literally works better. I mean, we have science to show that prayer and faith and belief um, are important for the healing process. And so in your role as the doctor, helping um, your patients to believe, mm -hmm. I think is a really important role that sometimes doctors are not always so well-equipped for, or don't always step in to play that role the way that maybe we really ought to. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And, and then that, again, that's the interesting thing, having a doctor, and then someone, a doctor on the show and someone who played a doctor, go figure in all these different things. So Gloria, what other projects are going on with you right now do you, for your fans? Because people might have not known what's going on with Gloria. So tell us some, update us what's happening. Well, uh, first first of the year is going to be very busy and very exciting for me because one of the things that's going to happen is that I'm going to be writing with the, uh, the team uh, that I wrote the songs for from my last uh, Grammy Award winning gospel album, along with a few new um, writers that will be added to, to our uh, team of writers. And um, so we'll be coming forth with an album hopefully next year. Also, uh, the beginning of the year, my um, uh, documentary of my life is going to be, um, well, we'll be going to the film festivals the beginning of the year and hopefully shortly, shortly thereafter, the film will be made available to the public. Excellent, wow. A lot of different things going. You just, you keep going. What keeps you, as you talked about your faith, but you have to have a regimen, right? You have to be able to keep, to keep doing all these projects and keep going like that. You have to have a plan and routine, right? Every day to keep things oh, yeah. going. Absolutely. I mean, I try to take care of myself. I, I exercise. I do CrossFit. <laughs> My guy oh. has, me, has me dragging, well, not dragging, actually pushing a 200-pound thing that he calls a tank um, and different, different exercises that I do three times a week. Um, and, you know, just trying to take care of myself, my beauty regimen, 
and all that. Um, and um, making sure that I eat well and take my supplements and try to keep my immune system strong. And so these are all things that you need to do to care for this wonderful, wonderfully made body that God has given each one of us. We really need to take care of it. And I, I, I try to do that. And Thursday Night Club is available on Pure Flix. When, when is the release? November 2nd, I believe. Okay, November 2nd. We really appreciate you coming on, Gloria. Dr. Deb, wasn't it amazing to get to talk to her? And especially I'm with so the schedule. so grateful for the opportunity. And come on, come on. And really, you're doing fantastic things. And you really are motivating people to keep on going, right? That's what you're doing. And survive. <laughs> so appreciate and it. And thrive. <laughs> yeah, and thrive. Survive and thrive. Thanks again, Gloria. appreciate it. Thank you so much. God bless. All right. God bless you too. You're listening and watching The Neil Haley Show. And we'll be back in just a moment. We're back to the Neil Haley Show and also the Media Giant Effect. I'm excited to welcome Lisa Burbage to the show. Lisa's going to talk more and more about, again, health and wellness in corporations and organizations and businesses. And again, some of that employee involving mental health. So Lisa, I want to jump into the mental health game. Here's the reason why. Because at the end of the day, any of these people that are listening, that are entrepreneurs, business owners, they're trying to hire a couple of people on the part-time basis or even maybe full-time basis. They have to understand what corporations are going through now. And you mentioned a couple of these buzzwords that blew me away that I want to talk about because the, the employee engagement is dying out because of their mental health. And why, first of all, their mental health? Um, well, it you know, it's a little bit generational, but a lot of the Gen Zers and millennials and even some of the boomers and Gen X, they're, they're, they're overcome with anxiety right now. Think about the last two years. It's just been one thing after the other, and it's not going away. Um, and so they tend to, they're anxious, they're stressed, they're overwhelmed, they're burned out. They've been working from home and they didn't know when to turn off. So, you know, pleasure rolled into work and work rolled into pleasure and you never turned off. And a lot of people have suffered um, emotionally because of that. And that's why I just heard just today, this morning, CNN said 90% of the workforce right now is suffering from mental and emotional health issues. 90%? 90%. Yeah. Because I think that they want to have more control in what they do. And I think that they see the entrepreneur lifestyle or business owner lifestyle and flexibility of their friends. If it's 90% of the workforce and they wish they can be in there, they just wish this is, I don't know what's going to happen to our society. If the workplace ends up not, people don't want to work anymore. They better watch out because robots are on its way. And that's yeah. the, 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 there's a pizza, again, a pizza a company that someone's investing. It's really interesting involving pizza. And that now they're going to be all full robotic pizza or um, company. So there's just different things out there. You just keep complaining about your job or in that, but 90% mental health. And you're saying because of the pandemic, how do we make this happen? I think that when we made it, the ability to work remote, a lot of people didn't want to be home. Some people did. Some people like the flexibility. Other people didn't like that they lived 24-7 in their house because of work. So mm -hmm. it's, it's so much. So what you do is you help those corporations and organ and businesses navigate the, not just the health of healthiness and the lifestyle eating, but mental health, 
right in your conversations. Yeah, I, I take a holistic approach, Neil, where we do address obviously physical, which includes exercise and nutrition, but we also talk about the emotional side of getting healthy because most people, when they're trying to get healthy, they think they first need to take action, but you can't take action if you're beating yourself up and telling yourself, I don't feel good, I'm stressed, I, I've failed at so many things, why do I think this time will be different? So I start first with the mindset, getting people to understand that they don't have to be perfect when they're trying to get healthy. And that perfectionism is creating some of the anxiety that we see today. People are afraid they feel like if they take action, they'll fail and then they'll fail in front of everybody. But the only way you learn, as we know, is to fail. Once you fail, you learn and then you pick yourself back up and you try it again, maybe a little bit differently. But um, this, this need to be perfect all the time is creating a lot of anxiety and stress in our workforce. And it's also holding back innovation and creativity because people are afraid to try something. They just don't want to put it out there. So they're afraid. To, so what can, what, when you go into an organization, how do you look at the organization, how it's structured in certain aspects and how, how do you work with them? Well, um, first of all, we, you know, get the, I always do groups. I don't do anything individual. I don't do any individual coaching. I only do groups because Everybody is on a level playing field. When I go on site to a company or virtual, everybody, I've had CFOs in my groups. I've had the, the manual laborer in my groups. We're all on a level playing field. We're all on the same journey to get healthier. That creates a, a, a real good um, cultural, it, it creates a good culture where everybody is on the same um level playing field. And then we start talking about, um, you know, not being perfect all the time, taking small steps, getting, just trying something. You can't know what works if you don't try. So we try, everybody tries something. We come back together. We talk about it. Um, it also provides support and accountability and camaraderie. There's another whole thing going on. I could talk to you another time about loneliness in the workplace. Um, the pandemic, people working remotely, working hybrid, they've gotten lonely. A lot of people come to work to find their best friend. And if you're working remotely, that's kind of hard to do. So my programs give people a chance to interact outside of the work environment. We're not talking about project. We're talking about, hey, we're all on this same journey to get healthy. I'm thinking about trying a 30-minute walk tomorrow. You want to join me? you know, that sort of thing. Um, so there's so many um, benefits that come when a company runs a wellness program like mine, but it's the emphasis is not on losing weight. It's not on exercising. It's about becoming a better version of you, whatever that may look like. All right. Best place people can find information on Lisa. Where can they go? Well, my website, wellness5.com. Um, you can also um, go to my my candle my candlely link is in my website. So if you'd like to set up a short call with me to find out what we might do to help your organization, then you can go on my website to get my calendar. All right, fantastic. You're listening and watching the Neil Haley Show, and we'll be back in just a moment.
We're back to the Neil Haley Show, and my guest today is going to help us with that financial planning thing. You know, I don't know what percent of Americans, because this is not my expertise, don't live paycheck to paycheck. It's a huge amount. And uh, there's lots of people now finally saying, let's figure this out, especially through the pandemic. People had the ability to save through those stimulus, but they spent it. Now, my guest, Heather Holjevic, is going to explain more about it. Heather, thanks for stopping by. You're, you're from Holjevic Financial Group. It's your business. And kind of uh, explain why you decided to be part of this. Tell me. Hi. So, yeah, thanks so much for having me on. I mean, I think, you know, finances is one of those topics where everyone likes to hear the, um, you know, the latest fad, but don't really know how they can apply that to their life and if it actually makes sense. And unfortunately, we were not taught financial education in school. Um, I think that people are floundering. And when you're trying to get your education from, you know, your parents, you didn't have, you know, that financial education themselves, it's kind of difficult to figure out what, you know, options and choices you have. So, you know, I've actually been doing this for over 30 years. And what I found is that people have unfortunately a you know a disdain for people in the financial industry because they think they're always going to be sold a product but you know my job is to make sure that people understand their options to you know look at where they are today how they want to get you know where they want to be and how figure out how they get there with the tools that work for them um you know not what their friend has not what their kardashians are doing but you know what works for them so you know, the, the um, so I've actually evolved into doing fee for service planning because I find that, again, it, it separates the product from the plan. And I think that's really what people want is an objective view on where they're going, where they're and um, how to get there. You've skinned the game because if you aren't, they're not seeing success, you're done. And the difference is if you are doing it the other way where you're investing, you're, you're sold in, your money's already in there. You care, there's nothing else you can do there, unless you pull your money out and bring it somewhere else. So that's a pain in the neck and the different things. So your job is for success to see the growth throughout making changes, you know, budgeting. While most people that are just taking, you know, the money from the 401k or certain types of investment plans and diversification, they don't have that, you know, iron in the fire as much because guess what? They've already invested their money. They're already investing their money into this. This is your job to look at what's the best steps and plans, but puts you, puts you under more scrutiny than a financial investor does, right? Would you say in that way? Oh, 100%. I mean, I have a fiduciary duty to make sure that, you know, whatever recommendations I give, that they're first of all making sense, but also, you know, the step I think that's missing is there's so many different facets. So there's the insurance piece, there's the investment piece, there's the tax piece, and nobody's talking to, to each other. So if you don't have your investment person talking to your tax person, then how do you know if that actually makes sense for your future 10 years from now? Because that little change that you make today in you know, the wrong direction can have a huge ripple effect negatively in the future. So, you know, what I do is pull all of the experts together to make sure they're all working um, on the same page, but also make sure that the implementation is there. Because if people have a plan and they don't implement it, then what's the point of having that plan? So, um, and I also have, you know, a yearly 
checkup to make sure that, you know, we're on track and that, you know, I show them if you didn't work with me, this is what, you know, I show them what the benefit is and then how they, you know, add value by working with a financial planner. All right. And the best place for people to find information because finding the coach, that's the big thing. And the key thing is what you do is you teach people to how to help in that process to get them through where they need to go. And where's the best place people can find information on you and learn more about you. So you can uh, reach out at uh, talkwithheatherh.com and that'll direct you right to my calendar. You can set up a 30 minute strategy call complimentary. I can give you some steps to take away. And then if it makes sense to work together, then we can, move forward. Having a financial coach like yourself, that's going to lead you through the process to having money at retirement and be able to live the life and save the money and also budget the money. So you have money available. You need an expert and you're definitely one. So I appreciate Heather for stopping by. Great. Thanks so much. You're listening and watching the Neil Haley show. And we'll be back in just a moment. Back to the Neil Haley show. And my guest today I had on last year, we talked about telling a story and how you tell a story through many different ways. But now we're going to talk about brand story. Barbara Menino, Barbara, thanks for stopping by. And so let's go right into it specifically enough. Brand story is a little bit different than, you know, telling your story. Now you're about your brand because you have to have a brand to tell the story and then connect that into your marketing. So explain some of the stuff you want to share. So first of all, Neil, I want to say that I'm really happy to be here and appreciate the opportunity. When I talk brand story, I am really talking about the DNA of your business, the engine that drives your business. So what are you made of? In small businesses, particularly, this is important because you are the business. But even in large corporations, the person at the top becomes symbolic of that brand. So what are that person's values, beliefs, purpose, intention, and how does he care about the rest of the world and serve his constituents? All right. So let's, so give me some, that that's makes complete sense. So how would that look? Like what, what do we start first of all, when you look at our brand story? So my process, i firmly believe begins with digging deep. And you can look at it another way. It's like pulling a, a ball of yarn and pulling the string from somewhere deep in the center where your essence is, your soul, your inspiration. And not trying to sound too woo-woo, but in fact, it is all that soft stuff, if you will, the heart of you that influences your Perception of the world influences what's right with it, what's wrong with it, how things should be. And as a result of that, how you can help people. So literally, you have to have a story. Yes, it has to be written. And then when you go out in the world and speak, you reflect what is written in that story so that people can get who you are. In a way, it's like Simon Sinek's golden circle and that very important one on the inside, the why. You got to figure out your why. This is you got to figure out your why. And you know what Simon Sinek says? Companies that lead with why instead of how and what are the companies that not only survive, but that thrive. Makes complete sense. 
once you figure that out, you have your story. So define a brand for me. So you're talking about, you've talked about story because you definitely understand that is an important part of your business. And then a brand story that create the content. But when do you define someone's brand? How do you do that business or personal? So that to me is the first step, particularly in business. I think personal brand is a little more evolutionary. And actually, the two are very interrelated. You really have to have a personal brand as well as, and frankly, before you have a business brand. Mm -hmm. So, you know, people think, logos, fonts, and colors. And they think, hmm, that is what brand is. And really, what they really need is the story. When I say story, I'm talking about your verbal identity. What are the adjectives that describe you? What are the adjectives that describe your character? How do you show up when you're out in the world? What is your behavior like? It is truly this wonderful, squishy middle of it all. It's even you with your vulnerabilities and your fallibilities, because we are, after all, human. And at the end of the day, a brand, whether business or personal, is all about being human. It's all about, you're right, about all about being human, because people now need to, we're in a a like-for-like society. So you basically have to have people are in the trust economy. They're not going to hire somebody or buy it something unless they truly know, like, and trust you. So you have to have the personal brand to lead to the business brand and have everything in together. And they understand the story of what they're buying into at the end of the day. Uh, That's, you know, that's absolutely correct. And what you said about a trust economy It is through the brand story that people get to know you and the famous phrase, know, like, and trust you. And they get a true sense of what's in it for me, because that is, after all, the number one customer question. Okay, Barbara, where can people connect with you and find out more information on where can they go? Um, Well, my website is www.barbaramenino.com. I can spell that out if anybody wants to write that down. Barbara Traditional, B-A-R-B-A-R-A. Menino is M-A-N-N-I-N-O. So it's Barbara at BarbaraMenino.com. And actually, if they would go to chatwithbarbara.com, chatwithbarb.com, which is a section of my website, they will be able to get a free takeaway about winning and keeping the hearts and minds of your customers, which is all about brand and the opportunity for a free brand checkup session to see whether they're operating on all the cylinders they should be. All right. Well, definitely people need to look at that. Thanks for stopping by, Barbara, and appreciate it. Love being here. Thanks so much. Take care. You're you're listening and watching The Neil Haley Show. We'll be back in just a moment. We're back to the Neil Haley Show, and my guest today is going to talk about how our personal style, who we are, our our image keeps us from growing or not growing. So our guest today is Arlene Stearns. Arlene, how are you? Thanks for stopping by. I'm doing great. Thank you. I love being here. All right. I appreciate it. So let's talk about this and why is it 
that your personal style, the person, what you, way you dress, the way you act, the way it keeps you from growing or not growing. What is, what is the reason for that? Whether we like it or not, we're judged. We're judged the minute we walk in the room. People look at us, they look at our appearance, what we're wearing, and they decide almost in the blink of an eye about our capability and our credibility. So if we don't look trustworthy, if we don't look like we have money, they're not going to spend money with us and they're not going to listen to our message. Wow. And that's the thing where two years ago I was wearing a suit coat and tie, like being a teacher still, to now wearing uh, you know, more stylish type of a shirt, you know, more, I guess I'm in better shape, all those different things I've seen in the last two years of transformation doing Suzanne's since I was doing this, that I'm changed because I understand that fact. The more younger you can look at times, the more energy you have, the better looking you can be, the more opportunities you have. And it's, it's the truth, it's just, it's life. Or, you know, how you differentiate yourself from other people when they meet you and different things. That's what you're talking about, right? Exactly. Because you want to stand out from the competition. You want to have that little edge that makes you memorable. Just think of how many realtors there are, how many people in the financial field. So what's that one thing that can, that can give you that little edge that can make you memorable? And you can do it through your personal style. And as we all know, things have gotten a lot different in the past two years because we didn't have to worry about what we look like from just the chest up. That was it. We didn't have to get dressed. So now people are struggling, you know, finding out that their things aren't fitting them anymore. They don't look the same in them anymore. And, they're, and things have gotten much more casual. So how can you look put together, look your best and still be comfortable? Because I hear that word a lot and I want people to be comfortable for sure. So style, let's talk about the style. So that's the big thing. If you're not wearing clothes that are, that, that are expensive brands in certain ways that look like that, then people are going to think they're not going to buy from you. It sounds like it's, it, there's different things that are out there in your style that makes who you are. It just sounds like that you're talking about. It doesn't have to be ultra expensive. You can really look put together um, without spending a ton of money, okay. without breaking the bank, let's say. Um, there are, for women, there are 10 essential pieces, power pieces that every successful woman has. They don't have to be Gucci or, um, you know, well, Gucci stays, stay, or, or Louis Vuitton to make people to put value on you, for people to see you as valuable. You can look put together um, by wearing, by making sure that you have clothes that truly fit you in every sense of the word. So I like to use some F words. One is the focus is on you, like who you really are and genuinely are. You need to be comfortable in your skin and comfortable in what you're wearing. And, and does it express who you are? Does it fit your lifestyle? Does it fit your, your personality and your profession? All those things are really important. And then does it literally fit you? Then does it flatter you? Does it hit you in the right place? Is it the right color? All of that is part of who you are. It's part of your personal brand. And you have to look at those things. And that's where you have the professional photos done, all those different things. 
to make sure that you have your professional shots, all those things that make you ahead above the rest when you're at your website or anything saying, okay, wow, this person is not like everyone else I'm talking to about this business. I'm blown away by uh, different things. So style. So, and you work mostly with women when it comes to style? I work mostly with women. I have worked with men, but I really feel like my mission is to help women really break through that glass ceiling so they get paid like a lead. They look like a leader, so they get paid like a leader. I love it. That's great. So where can people find information on you and learn more about you? Where can they go? Everything is very consistent. It's imageupsystem.com and they can go there. They can do gift from Arlene and get the 10 pieces that every woman should have in her closet. And then they can have a conversation with me to see if they have the right 10 pieces, the right style that really do make them stand out from all the rest. Well, I know for a fact it has a lot to do with everything about our image is important. So if we're an entrepreneur business owner, we need to take care of our health. We got to dress nice. We have to smell nice. We have to look good as best we can for who we are. And if we're not doing that and putting the time and effort in, we're not going to get the best clients and we're not going to grow our business. So I appreciate all the time, Arlene, and thanks for stopping by. Thank you. Bye-bye. You're listening and watching The Neil Haley Show. We'll be back in just a moment. Back to The Neil Haley Show. My guest today is going to talk about the quality of your words and how words really affect our relationships. So my guest today is Annette Pang. Annette, thanks for stopping by. And you're talking about the quality of your words. Why is that? Is it words really bring a feeling in a relationship? I I agree, but I want to kind of get your expertise in it. Yes, they do. And I first want to say thank you as my first words to you uh, for having me. Um, And in fact, kind of as an aside, I was in Portugal in May for a whole month. And the word Sodad came up over and over again. And it has such a meaning of nostalgia. People cry when they talk about Sodad and they can sing about it too. I find that words that we say to each other as a care home owner for 21 years, that it could make or break a relationship. A gripe can last a lifetime to a point where they don't want to say goodbye <sighs> to their moms or dads at deathbed. Oh, no. Even though we call them, come by. She's going to go anytime. And they, they just want to snub her or him. So it's, it's a, it moved to me to do this, Neil. I just felt like I've got to do something to nip it in the bud really fast yes. so that people don't lose face just because they said the words and they just don't know how to get recover from it, repair. And what I do is kind of a really simpleton system that gets people who are hard rock estranged talking again. Oh, goodness. Yes. My last case was Michelle, who auntie sued her mother over some uh, real estate debt. And she brought her auntie back in uh, rejuvenation and reunion with her mother a month and a half before mother uh, the auntie died. Oh, so it is possible to convert. And it's all the words you say when you say it and how to recover. And the words, you have to really understand the other person before saying it. You hit it on the head, Neil. 
that's one of my three things. The first is walking in someone else's shoes. Just really wondering why that person just gets all hot and hissy over something. And the second thing is your own self-control, cooling your jets. When you just are like, why does it get you so triggered? And then, of course, the words you say. You know that little toy that's like a whistleblower that goes, woo, that little shrill toy? You can say one thing that is very calm and peaceful. You can say the same meaning that is just shrill. So obnoxious, yeah. Obnoxious, shocking, rude, offensive. These are the things that you need to have coaches like yourself to be available, especially when you're going through these types of challenges in family life and stuff like that. Where can people find information on Annette? Such great information. Where can they go? Thank you. Thank you, Neil. Annette pang.com and you can call me um, I'm listed in a special book of brilliant coaches and I just want to say that um, people can find me there too and I'd love to chat I, I can help people turn around in just a few sessions all right Matt appreciate it thanks for stopping by thank you Neil you're listening and watching The Neil Haley Show, and we'll be back in a We're back to The Neil Haley Show and also The Media Giant Effect. And my guest today is Cheryl Burgett. And Cheryl is helps solopreneurs, entrepreneurs to get more sales. And the thing that I'm going to find out from Cheryl today is they just don't get it. The, the missing component is they think that they're on social media, they have a following, they put out a social media post, that's going to equate to sales or they hire somebody for SEO that's going to equate to sales. And that's not true at all. Is it? And then it's a part of it, but it's not the end of the, of the game Cheryl, Right. Exactly. You know, Neil, one of the things that I've known in my business from the very get go is you have to have a presence on social media. People have to know who you are. That's just a really a credibility unless you have a name. And one of the things that I always say to people is you can't hang a shingle and expect people to come to you. Nobody knows who the heck you are. So um, only 20% of your business will come from social media, your entire business career. So you got to be 80% offline, picking up the phone, calling people. Let me go to the part of Clubhouse that showed me that. And that's where I said, if I wouldn't have spent like 17 hours when I was one of the top, not in top influencer, but I was the first to get the, uh, where I could get, you know, um, be able to monetize on clubhouse. So I was, I was pretty popular. had big crowd. I was spending so much time there and all I needed to do is do my radio show and podcast. I'm going to got more business. And the fit, the, the fact was because it is taking people offline. The process is to create a relationship and then talk offline. Whatever it is, if it's speaking, which Suzanne Evans talked about when I was doing my talk today, same thing came up. I said, no, no that's so true. I got to do that more because sure as heck after 9,000 interviews, I think I can go out there and do a talk, right? No problem. I show up anywhere and talk about podcasting or social media and have people's attention because you have to get their attention like your glasses get someone's attention. I love that, Cheryl, about you. But that's what's needed. You got to take things offline. It can't be this hit my link and you're going to push by. No, no. If it's $47 or less, that's what I tell my clients. If it's $47 or less, that's going to be the ones that they will press by a right. book or something without talking to someone. 
Right. $47, you need to talk to a lot more people. Why is that? Why won't people buy a $199 course, $399? Unless you're a big name, they probably would potentially, but they still want to talk to somebody. They do. I think that so many people have taken classes that they haven't done. That's one of the reasons, or it hasn't, or they don't believe it hasn't worked because they don't know what they don't know. So they're being blindsided by thinking that this, this system is going to work for them and they're looking for the magic bullet. Guess what, guys? There's no magic bullet. One of the things I tell my clients all the time is you got to get them on a conversation, especially if you're selling any other high ticket item. I mean, even like I said, even 497, Suzanne did a three day training one time for a 497, $497 product. And I thought to myself, that taught me in that moment what people are willing to pay for. Cause she's, as we both know, is great with her content, gave people tons of value. And when you have people that are just sitting around waiting for people to come to them, you're not giving anything. And but so the problem, they got to watch the marketers are out there like sharks saying, guess what? You, all you got to do is a webinar and you're going to get sales. It's you, you have no followers on social media. No one knows you, but they're going to buy your stuff. They're going to even buy your book. No, right. it's brand awareness. But when you're talking the higher level, you got to pick up the phone and call. And this is what, why do you think they're, they, they, that misconception's out there? You know, I think that they're just, like I said, they, they're just ignorant. They don't know. They are really good at what they do and they expect their friends, family, and everyone else to recommend them, to talk about them. But guess what? We are flooded with information every day. And so you have to stand out in a way, which generally means picking up the phone and calling someone and being interested in what their problem is. Know the problem you solve, right? And look for people who have that problem. Um, You know, I I had somebody decline working with me because she said, I heard you have people picking up the phone. I said, yeah, I don't have them do cold calls necessarily, but I have them picking up the phone after they've made an offer, after they've, you know, given them a, given a talk. That's one of my favorite ways to build the business. Um, But you have to be the one that's hustling on the phone, reaching out because you know what? No one's looking for you unless you're a celebrity, a politician, or a um, an athlete, a professional athlete. So there you go. I'm not any of those. <laughs> and I honestly believe, and let's give you an example. If you, there was a Tony Robbins course that was a high level course, not his event. Yeah, people will pay a thousand bucks for his event or more or different things or Grant Cardone will spend the money. But ultimately, when it came to something that was a long mastermind thing where it's just a higher ticket item, you know, $2,000 a month, $3,000 a month or more, they have to talk to a sales team. So just because you think that they're not going to go and take your course for a mastermind type course for, let's say, $5,000, unless you're talking to them, unless you're going to tell them the ROI. So what tips do you say? Because people hate to send that LinkedIn message. And this is my last question because I wish I had more time. I told you, contact me. We'll have more time. I'll talk about this all day long. You send in that glorious LinkedIn message that's so icky after connecting. How do you do that that doesn't feel so icky? So you can get them on the phone or talk to them. What's your recommendation? My recommendation is, first of all, be committed to knowing them what their problem is and see if it's a fit, let go of the outcome. So we can't be attached to the outcome of any conversation. Attachment feels icky. 
but we can be committed to an outcome to serve people in a way that they're not used to being talked to or served. It's not about making the sale at the end of the day. It's about how can you serve someone and really give them solid outcome. All right, Cheryl, I could talk to you for hours, but we only have a short period of time. Cheryl, best place people can connect with you is go where? Go to my website, Cheryl Burgett, B-U-R-G-E-T-O. Cheryl, you should spell that first. Cheryl, C-H-E-R-Y-L, Burgett, B-U-R-G-E-T.com. And you can find me there to um, do a shift your sales call. So happy to do that for any of your listeners. Neil, it's been an amazing time. I love being on this show and thanks for putting it out there. Appreciate it, Cheryl. Thanks again. You're listening and watching The Neil Haley Show. We'll be back in just a moment. Hi, and welcome to Women CEO and Reflection, a podcast dedicated to personal growth and mental health discussions with women CEOs across the globe. It's here where inspired women get candid about what drives them to succeed and the personal challenges they've encountered on their path to success. So if you're a woman on a mission, this is the podcast you don't want to miss. So sit back, relax, and let's get Hi, and welcome to Women CEO and Reflection. I'm your host, Marisa Jones. Today's guest is September Seacrest. She's a leader in strategy, organizational alignment, and team management. She has traveled for 14 months to, to 22 countries in Southeast Asia and Africa, and working with 45 international, regional, and community groups. September is the CEO at Leadership Synops, where the organization matches global leadership training opportunities with professional skills needs in international nonprofit work. Welcome to the show, September. Thank you, Marisa. Thank you, it's wonderful Marisa. to be here. So tell me a little bit about your journey and how you started your organization. Ah, that's that's uh, quite a story. I worked for the U.S. Department of Commerce for 16 years doing international trade. It was a great position, steady job with the federal government. I thought I had found my career forever. I loved every minute of it. And um, in 2018, I had been doing a long-term detail and uh, it was, was very successful. I, I knew how to grow in the organization, but came to a point where I thought if I ever want to try something different, to take a risk, to step out of what's comfortable, it's gotta be now. And um, so I, I went to the national director and I said, I, I'm quitting my job. And it was the most terrifying thing I've ever done in my life. And the whole time I was thinking, what am I doing? What am I doing? This is a terrible decision. Um, but as soon as I did it, it was this freedom of, I can do something else. And so I sent out an email message to friends and family saying, hey, I'm looking to connect with uh, organizations, volunteer opportunities in, in Asia and Africa. And at that time, I honestly didn't have a clear vision as far as what my work or what types of projects I would be doing there. I just wanted to, to go and help and, and giving back and volunteering has always been a huge part of who I am and what I enjoy doing. And within about two weeks, I had this itinerary put together of friends of friends. And I know somebody in the Philippines and in Malawi. And, you know, this, this whole itinerary came together. And uh, so I, I bought an airplane ticket leaving on September 11th, because that's always a great day to fly, and showed <laughs> up in the Philippines, my first stop. And, and honestly, was very open. I can, I can paint walls. I can hug kids. There was, it was a, uh, a foster care center that was actually started by my great aunt when she was 78 years old. So 
background story oh there. Oh my goodness. Family connection. Yeah. So, you know, side story, your next uh, podcast, you're never too old <laughs> to <laughs> pursue your dreams and make a difference. Um, and as soon as I started talking with the directors, I very quickly fell into uh, a, a role that allowed me to help them look at their organization, their strategy, their policies, put together a strategic plan. And something clicked in me that the skill set that I had to offer was unique and it was valuable. And it was something that honestly didn't often uh, appear for a lot of, of international nonprofits or non-governmental organizations. And the, the reception to my ability to say, hey, have you thought about this? Long-term plans, key performance indicators, all the, the corporate buzzwords that didn't often get into their training manuals uh, was, was so welcome. It changed my focus on what I had to offer to a lot of these organizations I was working with. So from that point on, when I was reaching out or confirming I was able to say, this is what I have to, to offer you, not just I'll do whatever you need. How can I make a difference? How can I make an impact on the world? I still wanted to do that, but I was able to say, this is my skill set. This is where I can make a difference and both of us be able to benefit from what comes easily to me. And uh, just one quick story on that. When I was uh, going into Cambodia, I had uh, connected with this organization that, that helped girls that were coming out of trafficking and, and they do incredible work. Um, but as I was sending an, a, a, an email to verify these are my dates, this is when I'm coming there. The gal who had been my point of contact emailed me back and she says, gosh, I'm sorry. I just, I'm leaving Cambodia uh, back to the United States. I don't know when I'll be back. And I was supposed to land there in three weeks and I'm in a bit of a panic, right? I'm out here on my own, putting together my own itinerary, you know, connections. I don't have any sort of an overarching organization to say, help, what do I do now? And so I'm saying to myself, help, what do I do now? <laughs> and um, so I, I, I sent off an email to about three different friends who had worked in the area just saying, gosh, you know, my plans fell through. I, I'm supposed to be there in three weeks. Do you know anybody? And through a friend of a friend of a friend, I got an email address of a gal who ran this, this nonprofit organization there. So I shot off an email and I introduced myself and then went to bed. And the next morning I got her reply back and it, this email said, you have no idea your timing. Just last night, I was trying to work on my strategic plan for this big grant. This is so out of my league. I was frustrated. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to do it. I slammed down my laptop and just said, I, I can't do this. I need help. And the next morning, she wakes up to my email saying, hi, I do strategic planning. Do you need any help? And it was just <laughs> the, the perfect connection at the perfect time. And, um, you know, time after time, there was just these kind of what I thought I would be doing or the organization I'd be working with. It opened up a door to get me to that place I needed to be and then worked with an organization that just said, my gosh, we're waiting for you. So I did that for, for 14 months, traveled you know, throughout Africa and Asia, had some wild stories, some incredible times, worked with some amazing organizations, everything from education to uh, protection of, of women to um, vulnerable children and, and people groups, um, you know, all these different really, really incredible work that's being done there. And um, 
wrapped that up, came back to the US and thought, gosh, now what do I do? I've just, you know, I've blown up my well-paying career. I've had this amazing experience. Um, I was thinking, do I do a nonprofit? Do I, you know, continue this kind of work? And as I was talking with my, some of my former clients that I worked with in uh, my previous position, very quickly realized that so much of the give back, the corporate social responsibility, the, the volunteer opportunities that most uh, companies offer their employees are not necessarily well matched. You might show up at a local elementary school and paint a wall or paint flowers or read to kids, which is all wonderful. And there's, there's a place for like, you know, mentorship and big brother, big sister. But the value of their time and what they could do off the top of their head, a lot of these, you know, even local school districts and, and definitely a lot of international nonprofits would never be able to afford that level of expertise. But most of them would be more than willing to sit down with their head of accounts and their CFO and say, hey, here's some, you know, principles that we just learned at our last professional development that can help you raise your level of transparency and accountability and, and how you run your books. Can I work with you for three days and help bring that? And uh, so got some great feedback from some of my former clients, um, launched this, this company with the idea of matching uh, a, a training program for aspiring corporate executives with volunteer opportunities that would be a win-win and uh, launched it March 9th of 2020, right before the entire oh, world shut down. Yes. COVID, and there's no international travel, travel like ever, ever again, right? So it That's was a one common of those, theme. <laughs> oh, I can imagine. Yes. So it was one of these, okay, what do we do now? In the first couple of weeks where we're all kind of waiting, nobody knew exactly what was going to happen or how long this would take. And um, after, you know, weeks drag on and drag on, start thinking, well, I'm starting to get a little hungry and missing a paycheck. What do we do now? <laughs> And uh, so it is the, the pivot and um, the, okay, what do I have and what is needed and how do we match those? And sitting down and thinking, this isn't necessarily what I want to do for forever, but it's a stepping stone. And, and sometimes we were talking a little bit earlier about, um, you know, how do you keep yourself in a good place when things don't go as you expect? And I think sometimes it is shifting that mindset of, this isn't forever. This is for now. What can I do for now to answer what's in front of me? And then look at how it fits in. That might be more of a Lego than a straight line. You know, as you build a block and build a block and build a block, right. um, eventually you get there. And, you know, honestly, when you build a tower, it's a lot more stable than hanging a rope that takes a straight line up. Um, so I ended up doing a lot more consulting work on organizational development, on training, on uh, uh, strategic planning for different organizations, uh, you know, rather than more of the leadership connecting with nonprofits focused right now on what's my skill and what's a huge need as companies pivot in this COVID environment, move to virtual training, move to global uh, organizational development and, and team leadership. And uh, so that's, that's where I am right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's a fascinating timeline because I, I, there's so many facets of it that I'm thinking about, you know, you went from working a, you know, a typical nine to five in a government office, which we know how, how many, how much red tape is in that. Right. And so you're very restrictive in your creativity and how you can really achieve results there. And so you went from that to literally just quitting 
And I'm sure it's been brewing, you know, there was something brewing for a long time, it's, you know, and but you just quit and you started something new and you had to pivot many different times throughout that. So were there times that I'm sure there were a lot of, and you, you've had overnight success. It's, 